Hello again, everybody, and welcome in to Upon Further Review, which is just like intentional talk on a ticket, but way cooler. Oh, I don't think so. Intentional grounding, you mean? It, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> intentional talk. Oh, that's on the Major League Baseball <laughs> Network. Oh, my gosh. Let's say hello before you insult him anymore to David Moore, Cowboy Beat Writer for the Dallas Morning News. David, did I get your show wrong? Is this Wayne's World or what, are, what is this intro? <laughs> yeah, this is cable much. access. <laughs> yeah, really, we're we're in our basement right now. So we are here with uh, our Cowboys insider, David Moore, for SportsDayDFW.com. And I just want to say, did you watch that game yesterday, last night? The the Giants, the Cowboys can't beat that Giant team. What do you think? One, I don't know if you would actually call it a game. Two, I watched parts of it before uh, switching over, and I had to catch up on Homeland. So I, I preferred that over what I was seeing in the first half of the uh, Giants and Eagles game. Um, you know, Dallas has already beaten both of these teams, and that is why when you look at this stretch coming up, uh, they need to win, scrape out two wins somehow before Tony Romo gets back to actually put themselves – in a position where they, they have a bit of a margin of error going forward as far as some games they could lose and, and some flexibility here. And, uh, again, I, I think it's imperative that, that they sweep New York and Philadelphia. If those are the only two wins they get, then they are in pretty good shape for a four-win team going into this stretch before uh, Tony Romo gets back. So, David, tell us now. There's been rumors out there that Christian Michael has been working with the first team. Is he going to start at running back for the Cowboys? My understanding is that will be to be determined this week. Uh, he has been getting reps with the first team, but so is Joseph Randall. Uh, just where he fits on this running back by committee going forward, I'm not sure we're going to see until the game unfolds. But I'm not sure that you can actually say – he has wrestled the starting job away from Joseph Randall, but he's given a chance to work with the ones to see just how he fits in this rotation. But there will be a new starting quarterback for the Cowboys on Sunday. And how, what effect do you think that'll have? Well, um, first of all, I think a lot of what happened with Brandon Whedon is a little bit like the, the CEO of a company during an economic downturn. There are a lot of factors he can't control. But if you're at the head of the company, when things go bad, stockholders are going to want to throw you out and go with someone else. I think that is some of what happened with Brandon Wheaton. Does he get a golden parachute from that? <laughs> he did not get a golden parachute. I, I guess his golden parachute is to drop back on the sidelines, maybe as, as the backup. Uh, you know, you might actually work Kellen Moore in there now. We'll see how that goes. But... Uh, it, I, I don't think backup quarterbacks get golden parachutes like CEOs do. Uh, but Castle, I think, is a guy who, when you look at him, he's won 33 games in the NFL compared to five for Brandon Whedon. He's played, I think, in 92, 93 games, which is about three times as many NFL games as Brandon Whedon has played. So I think that experience means something. I think it means that maybe you don't always check down as quickly as what you saw Brandon Whedon do in those three games. He's going to get the ball down the field a little bit more. That being said, I don't know that the receivers were presenting such a good target for Brandon Whedon, uh, and, and I think Matt Castle's going to run into that as well. So uh, I think you may see a few more turnovers out of Castle, but I think you'll also see the opportunity to make a few more plays. Uh, you know, the, the arrow, as Jerry Jones likes to say, was clearly pointing down with Brandon Whedon. 
He led the team to 35 points in his first four quarters. In his last 10 quarters, they had only managed 26 points. And in that New England game, when the defense was playing so good to start the game, uh, Brandon Whedon presided over an offense that went three and out on six of its first seven possessions. So we're we're saying the savior for the Cowboys is a guy who couldn't win the starting job in Buffalo? He's not. Define, I don't think he's calling savior. him a savior at all. Define savior. A, a guy. A guy team. to I, I to resurrect. Third quarterback. Hope. When, when you're about to play game six and you're on your third quarterback, I don't know that you would classify him as a savior. You're just trying to salvage the season and remain competitive until Tony Romo returns. So, are, are you saying though that with Castle they will force the they will f- attempt to force the football downfield more than they have the last three weeks? They have to. I think he will look to throw to the outside and throw down the field more. Yes, uh, and he will, he will not he will stay in there a little longer. Uh, not you know when you go through your progressions. I think what you saw was Brandon Weeden would go, okay, first guy not open, I'll check down. With Castle, you may go, okay, first guy's not open, eh, second's not open, okay, now I have to check down and. It's just going to give you more opportunities to throw the ball uh, down the field. That being said, uh, that puts a a premium on Terrence Williams playing better than he has. You know, in these three games that Brandon Whedon was the starter, uh, when Terrence Williams was the starter all the way through, actually four for for Terrence, but just the three games under Whedon, uh, there were 18, he was targeted 18 times. He only caught five of those balls. Uh, That's not efficient enough when you're going outside to continue to warrant to throw the ball down the field. Uh, so he has to do a better job because I think what you saw New England do was they said, you know what, Terrence Williams isn't going to beat our press coverage. He's not going to get open enough to be a threat. So we're going to bracket Jason Witten and double-team Cole Beasley, and then let's see where Brandon Whedon goes with the ball. And where you saw him go way too often was checking down to Darren McFadden out of the backfield for four or five yards. David, for uh, for I guess today is Tuesday, is it not? Today is Tuesday. Uh, we're doing this. At the moment, yes. yes, it is. So for my column for for Wednesday, uh, one of the things I or what I wrote about was the fact that okay, no team can sustain a loss of its Pro Bowl quarterback, its Pro Bowl wide receiver, and and lose the NFL rushing champion. Uh, you know, even though they they let that happen, uh, and expect to be the same. So that that's just a given, but it, you know when you look at what's happened with the Cowboys, they they uh, they're, they're now starting a quarterback who was not on the roster when the season started. Uh, if if Christian Michael starts, he they will be starting a running back who was not on the roster when the season started, and the wide receiver or the player on the team who owns the biggest play of the season, a sixty-seven yard catch, Bryce Butler, who, who was not on the roster when the season started, and I and I agree with you about Terrence Williams. I think that if if Ter- if uh, Bryce Butler hadn't pulled a hamstring. He might be their their biggest play threat out there, so to me that that points to a and then let's get into the fact that they they didn't replace Dwayne Harris. They they put Lucky Whitehead on the roster, but they don't trust him to to secure the ball, and so they put Cole Beasley back there and basically just tell him just catch the ball and don't get killed. Uh, so uh, it, it seems to me to be a, even with the, the problems they've had, a failure of the general manager to to put players in place that can step in and and take over for these guys. Well, I think it's one, it's a, um, I don't know we'll be having this conversation if Romo and Des Bryant and Lance Dunbar were still healthy. Right. Uh, and, but, and I think, you know, you, you, give, 
you gave Des Bryant big money, and, and certainly you can see while he's been out, it was certainly well-deserved. Uh, no one can quibble with the, the money they gave him. But it, in this salary cap age, you can only spread the money out so much. And uh, we talked about going into the season, I think, in, in training camp, that, that, look, one of the, as far as the most talent threadbare position after uh, the starters, in, in my mind, was wide receiver. Uh, they just didn't have quality depth at wide receiver. And that was one area where they came up short. I, I think they put uh, so much of an emphasis on our offensive line is rebuilt and so good that the talent, the skill positions at, behind them are going to be enhanced because we have a dominant offensive line. I think they felt, you know what, we need to pour more money into the defensive line and we were second in the league in turnovers last year with a pass rush that was minimal at best. If we turn up the heat on the quarterback, how good is this defense going to be? And that's where they chose to concentrate their money, really, and in, in their resources. And it just didn't leave them enough at, at the other positions where they lost key players that they had the depth to recover from it. Of course, they could have drafted a running back, could have drafted a wide receiver. Sure. They didn't get much. That, you know, the, the, the top of that draft, they, and then the free agent signing Lyle Collins, they did a great job, first two rounds, I think, in that. But then after that, they got little to nothing who's making an impact at this point. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and it was surprising to me at, at, uh, at running back. And, hey, look, th- this season was always going to be a referendum on did they properly judge – DeMarco Murray and what they had behind him. Uh, they felt uh, if if they were in a position to get Gurley in the first round, that's where they would have gone. Uh, once he was off the board, uh, my understanding was they really were looking to, uh, even Gregory falling to them in the second, my understanding was they would not have gone running back in the second. They would have gone third or fourth round for a running back on. And the you know, there was a run on running backs in the fourth, I think, right before they would have taken one uh, that, that took uh, David Johnson, who, who's now in uh, Arizona, off the board, and some other players off the board that they liked. Uh, Yeldon was another guy they were interested in. Jacksonville got to him before they did. So I think they had a cluster of running backs they wanted to take in the third or fourth round. But when they get, didn't get to them, they were off the board. They just kept saying, well, let's go ahead and take – uh, the best player at a position, even though we have pretty good depth at that position. In my mind, that, that, where you're looking at right now, at short term, is they should have gone running back in the third round instead of taking an offensive tackle who started the season on the injured list. Especially when you're uh, drafting him to be a swing tackle. Swing tackle, yeah. Uh, a swing tackle, though, but with the idea that if Doug Free doesn't resign at the end of this year, maybe you plug him into the starting offensive line. So I, I understand... I understand that, but when you look at all of the resources that have been dedicated to the offensive line over the last three drafts, and, and secondly, let me say, I can't believe I'm saying that after they went for years and years without you know, dedicating any resources in the first round to an offensive lineman, uh, but they've dedicated so much in the offensive and defensive lines now, uh, their argument is, well, look, if we're strong up front, lesser skill players that fit our scheme can still have success in this system. At this stage, you would have to say they're losing that argument at this stage of the season. Well, well that's, I mean, that's my question. Is, are they guilty 
of overestimating their depth at the skill position players this, this past offseason? I think they knew they were thin at wide receiver. I don't think there was any question about that. I mean, when you're when Lucky Whitehead is is basically anointed a spot in, in training camp, and uh, here's a rookie undrafted free agent uh, who hasn't really done anything and, and is undersized, and, and you just hope he's going to be your return guy. Uh, that told me right there they they knew they were thin there. You know, they, they went a little heavy at running back because they were doing it by committee because there's, they don't have one guy who can handle the majority of the load. So they were putting their emphasis there. And, uh, yeah, I think they felt at the, at the level that Romo was playing with that offensive line that they were going to be able to run enough to where, you know what, uh, the fact we don't have a really strong third wide receiver to play on the outside is not going to hurt us. Let me, well, it hurts them when Des Bryant goes down, and right. that's when that's when you get exposed. I want to see Kevin Sherrington go off when I mention this name because we're talking about wide receivers. What about Gavin Escobar? Hi. Look, I, no, I want to know. I want to know. Did they expect him to play a bigger role in the offense this season, and will he ever play a bigger role? What is with you and Gavin Escobar? We have a special relationship. That's, that's, that's not for you to question. I'm asking David, will he ever play a significant role in this offense or is it or is he history i'm sorry i'm sorry who is this gavin escobar you're asking about <laughs> oh so Point taken so okay now now let me now, let me ask you this the second round draft choice he, was going, gavin he was going to take a larger role in this offense do you think it would have been in these last three games when you don't have des bryant when you don't have Terrence Williams giving you a consistent stretch on the defense or, or presenting himself as quarterback friendly, as Jason Garrett likes to say, when you lose Lance Dunbar, who at the time is your leading receiver, when teams are focusing on, on Jason Witt, don't you think that Gavin Escobar would at least have been an afterthought in this offense over the last three weeks? Gavin Escobar doesn't have a catch in the last three weeks. At this stage, I think you have to say he is not part of this offense going forward. So, Barry, let that be the last time we hear Gavin Escobar escape your lips. Okay. Let me let me ask you this, okay, though, David, on, on Escobar. Said, that, being said, that being said, his best games of his career are against the Giants. So my guess is he'll have like four <laughs> catches this week for 57 yards and a touchdown. Well, he he's because Barry <laughs> continues to pump him, he's a – Big listener of the podcast, so we assume that this will be a motivating <laughs> and has, factor. And he has a large family. Hey, I, I've been a little bit preoccupied with the Rangers here, so I haven't watched this, but I thought when they when they, when Dez went down, and particularly when they lost Dunbar, that you would see them maybe try and use a few more two tight end sets and, 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 and throw underneath to the tight ends more. Has that not happened? Has he not been targeted more? Have they not run dual tight ends? Well, what happened is that, that James Hanna got hurt, and so he's a much better blocking tight end than Escobar. Uh, Jeff Swain, who's Is there anything blocker, Escobar does well? <laughs> well, again, he, it, Escobar to me is baffling, especially given the current state of the Cowboys' offense, because you, you lost the best uh, – I'm not talking about quarterback here, but you, you lost your best offensive player in Des Bryant – and you lost your most versatile offensive player in Lance Dunbar. To me, the mismatch, when you're unable to get the ball outside consistently, the mismatch in the seams, in the intermediate area, is Gavin Escobar. Uh, 
because if you put a if you put a safety or corner on him, he's going to win those jump balls. If you go with a linebacker on him, he has the speed to get away from them and create space. Clearly, he is not doing that well enough for them to have faith in him to put him in there because it has been a focus to get him more involved for two years. The fact he is not more involved tells me he is not capable of doing it in the eyes of the coaches. Kevin, so, is, doing, wait, Kevin want, is doing himself bodily harm right I, now. I just want to say one thing. Someday we'll see the combination of Tim Tebow to Gavin Escobar lead a team to the Super Bowl. Yes. And Marty B. And, and Marty Mar- B. It'll be a Marty B. Gavin Escobar. In Arena League that, 2. Hey, <laughs> David, let me ask you this. I have maintained this since the Romo injury just based on what to me makes common sense. But I, I know what they've publicized as the timetable. For me, it's hard to see him coming back before the short week in, uh, of Thanksgiving. I, I, I just kind of expect that he'd be back. I think it's – is it the Carolina game the next week or – The Thanksgiving, yeah. Carolina's that, Thanksgiving. To, to me, that's the issue, and this is what you run into. Medically, he could be clear to – and it's too soon to say for sure, but medically he could be clear to play for that Miami game on November 22nd. Right. But then you have two games in five days with a player coming off a major injury who hasn't played in a game in two months. So, one, at what level can you expect him to play – and two, do you really want to expose a player in that position to that sort of stress in such a quick turnaround? I guess it comes down to what what level of desperation straits they're in at that point. Oh, I, I think you're exactly right. And it could come down to that point, too, at being, okay, which of these games do we have a better chance to win without them? Now, you would say it's going to be Miami on the road versus Carolina based on what we've seen to this point of the season. And, and, and here's the other thing to consider, too. I, I know there's doom and gloom here, and, and it's justified. But you look at the next five opponents on the Cowboys roster, none of them have a winning record at the moment. So their next five opponents, none of them have a winning record. I realize the Cowboys don't either, but it's more realistic to expect them to win some of these games than maybe it was when the season started because of how we're seeing this season play out. Do, do we see Randy Gregory playing on uh, Sunday? Yes, yeah. He'll, he'll be back, and uh, this is going to be really interesting. This is the line they envisioned from the start. And to show you how good Randy Gregory was in such a limited time, he played uh, 19 – he was on the field for 19 snaps in that opener against the Giants before he got hurt. He had three quarterback pressures in that period – and was constantly in the backfield. He was very disruptive. Until Greg Hardy came on, he actually led the team in quarterback hurries with three, having played only 19 snaps going into the fifth game of the season. So, one, that showed you how effective he was. Two, it showed you how ineffective this Cowboys pass rush has been. Don't you don't you think that makes such a huge difference too uh, against Eli Manning? I think last night you saw that in the game with the Eagles. You put pressure on Eli, and he does silly things. That that's always been that's always been the playbook on him. If you can, especially if you can rattle him early, uh, and don't allow him to get his rhythm, he tends to struggle over the course of the game. I'm so silly night, things, Eli Manning, and I don't have cable. <laughs> what is that? 
Are you, you going to do a crownie joke now? Uh, you know, he was so serious. We had Thad Levine on a, on a previous. Hey, Evan, Evan was Mister Serious. He didn't now, do this stuff, huh? Na- now we have we have our colleague and friend David Moore, and you're being silly. Thad, Thad, uh, can I call you Thad? <laughs> Please, <laughs> me, no, he called him Mister Levine the whole time. It was it was it was it was it was, it was unbelievable. Oh my! Oh, I'm God. sorry, I, I I disrupted your chain of thought on Eli Manning and pressure. But I I, I do the, the point being that what we were trying to make, and you were trying to make, David, you know, we're making it so well before you know uh, nursery <laughs> corner broke out. What is that? Uh, that when you th- to me, this is the the Cowboys' best hope is not Matt Castle or or Christian Michael. It's the fact that Randy Gre- Gregory is going to be back. That you're going to see the, another another game of Greg Hardy, and you're going to see uh, a, a pass rush, a legitimate pass rush, and that will make all the difference against the Giants. Your your best hope, not just the Giants. Your your best hope, and in my mind, the only way you can remain you can maintain your competitive balance to give yourself a chance for a postseason spot by the time Romo gets back is that this defense has to start forcing turnovers, which it hasn't done in more than 210 snaps for the last three games. And if you get the pressure up front, which they should get now, they need to start forcing some turnovers on the back end. I think also what you've seen during this bye week, we haven't really spoken about it much because we've talked about Castle, you know, I, they want Castle to manage the game. They're going to be able to win games in their mind the way they're currently constructed if the defense steps up and does something and if they're able to run the ball better than what they've done. And I think you've seen that, that Jason Garrett really doubled down on this during the bye week by putting Lyle Collins in there, who's, a, who's an outstanding run blocker, and saying, look, Kristen Michael – Who's, a, who's really, in my mind, kind of a DeMarco Murray light, at least the closest thing they have on it to this roster, as far as a physical between-the-tackles runner, saying, look, we're going to insert you in here. So I, I think that the message is clear during the bye weeks that, look, if we're going to get out of this, it's going to be by doing what we did last year. We're going to start running the ball more or better, more efficiently, and we're going to have to get, start getting something out of this defense. If we do that... Castle will have a better chance to win than Whedon did because he can manage the game and put us in a position where we can have success at the end. But they're getting blown out in the second half of games. I think they've been outscored. I think it's 53-10 or something like that in the second half of the last three games. David, we have to get going, but let me just give you a little tip no, here. Why no. don't we, def- we call this defensive line Randy Gregory Hardy? Get it? Randy Gregory Hardy. Okay. No. Well, on that. Very. Okay. Let's let's say goodbye, Evans. Very. And th- let's thank let's thank we, David we Moore for taking the we time. We probably should have said goodbye before that. But yeah, Evan, yes. Evan now, well, point, well, David, no, there's no good dismount at this point. Th- th- okay. There really isn't. I mean, there's just no way to recover from that. But here's my question: Before you, go. you were at the dentist before you came on with us today. <laughs> Which was a more painful experience? Oh, this this was fine. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want to go that so much that. David, you know, when my wife says this is fine, it means everything <laughs> yes. is wrong. Yes, I know exactly what that means. <laughs> David, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we really enjoyed having you. We'd like to have you on many more hey, times. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah, when will I be on again, guys? Hey, t- tell us the name of your show you do on the ticket so we get that right for next time. Uh, tossing it, pitching it out to the right, and being dropped behind the line for a loss. 
something like that. Or so intentional I, grounding. Intentional grounding, which is on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Correct. Correct, sir. with you and Big Bob Wolanski. Big Bob. Uh, do you guys have a guest lined up for this week? Oh, Evan's begging. We may be able to give confirmation on that later. But, can, you, uh, can Evan be on? At the moment. Can Evan be on? All right, now the most important question. Be better that, than some guests we've had, yes. Before we let you leave, the most important question is, what Michelin-rated restaurant will you be sipping wine at this weekend? Ooh, you know, they've opened a Pock Pock in Brooklyn, which is originally in Portland, which is considered one of the best, if not the best, Thai restaurants in America. I may be there. Can Kevin come with you? No, he's not going to drag me along with him, no. Sure. We hop on the train. We catch the train from Newark and go in. There you go, Kevin. Beautiful. There you are. Just just like back in Pasadena, you catch the train. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right, David. Take Thank care. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.